0: Father in heaven, thank you um, for today. Thank you for uh, just the very fact that you spoke us all into existence, that we bear your image, um, that you love us so deeply that you sent your Son to die for us. Thank you for just the variety and the craziness when it comes to your creativity and the way that you formed humans and it's just earth and planets and there's just so much to discover And we only get to taste just a little bit of your greatness. And so we thank you for giving us that opportunity um, through your son, Jesus. Um, And Holy Spirit, tonight, as we listen to your words, as we wrestle with um, truth, we ask that you would come on us as a community and give us courage to believe what's true. That you would give us enough courage as we talk to one another, as we listen to your words being preached, that you would give us courage to not take things in the wrong way, to not um, hold uh, against people the way things are said. Um, Have courage to believe what's true, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Um, So Holy Spirit, give us that courage uh, to hold on to what is good and what is right. Um, And we ask all of that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um. Tonight we are going to finish up the book of Acts. Uh, Next week, uh, Andrea, I believe, correct, is going to introduce the book of Titus, Um, and then we're going to go through Titus for like six weeks, I believe, and then after Titus, we're going to do about five weeks on what we call the hot seat, you know, I just introduced that a few minutes ago, but... um, I know not everybody gets to be part of a pilgrim group. And so I want to kind of lay out this model that we use as a community to help encourage one another. And so we're going to do like a four or five week series on that. And then we're going to jump into the Psalms and finish up the year in the Psalms. So that's kind of our plan. But today my plan is to land the plane of Acts. And so I want to start um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I told you at the beginning when I introduced the book of Acts. And if you don't know, the book of Acts is in the New Testament. Um, It comes after the Gospel of John. Uh, And if you have a black Bible here, I think it's on page 1077. So, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse verse 8. This is where Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen and what he's going to do. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay? Now, I talked a little bit about this, so if you here's just a little plug for listening to sermons more than once. Okay? So, if you hear something once, you will forget it. You need to hear things three times to, to actually remember what I'm saying, remember whoever's up here is saying, remember anything you want to know. So, I would suggest go on the website, listen to the series on Acts. You will hear me talk over and over again on what it means for the Holy Spirit to come on you and what it means for the Holy Spirit to come in you. Okay? But right here, what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to come on these disciples in power and what they're going to do and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and they become witnesses. And a witness is where we get the word martyr and it's testifying to what is true. So the thing that the Holy Spirit does when it comes on you, the Spirit of God, is it helps you testify to what is true. Right? And so as we've gone through the book of Acts, the thing that has kind of hit us over and over again is this idea of transformation. We have Peter who denied Jesus, who abandoned Jesus all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's proclaiming Jesus and things are happening around him we have Paul who is this violent man a murderer chasing down Christians and then all of a sudden he's a Christian loving crazy guy right and so there's this transformation and what we've seen as the Holy Spirit comes on people and a transformation happens there's some evidences of that. And the evidences are really simple. And this is how you will know if the Holy Spirit comes on you, is that you speak truth boldly, that people repent of their sins and are made kind of uncomfortable, and a community starts forming around you. Okay, So community repentance and you being bold is evidences of the Spirit of God coming on you and transforming you and then transforming those around you. And so that's kind of been the theme of all of Acts. Now, we're going to end up in Acts chapter 28. So we can go all the way to the end of Acts. Um, and really what the, the book of Acts has been about is just simply the Holy Spirit being poured out on the early church and the early church being formed. Okay. But the second half, half of Acts is really about one person. And his name is Paul. right? And it's mostly Paul's story. And so last week what we heard was, as Paul has been going about planting churches, he's been making a lot of people angry. And he's been frustrating people. And so there are the so he's decided I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And all of his buddies are like, "Hey, you're insane. If you go there, they're going to kill you. They're going to capture you. It's not going to be good for you." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm headed there anyway." So he goes there and he ends up getting arrested and almost killed and then he uses his you know, Roman citizen card and he plays that because he got it out of his Monopoly game. And that all worked out for him. And he ended up getting away from the Jewish people. But while he got away, there were 40 Jewish men who decided they weren't going to eat or drink until he died. Right? So they decided they were going to kill him. So the Romans managed to get him away. And where we're going to find um, Paul after his shipwreck and after being bit by snakes, all that kind of stuff, he finally makes it to Rome. And in chapter 28, verse 30, he's entertained a lot of Jewish people who've come and listened to him talk. They haven't heard anything about him from Jerusalem, so they're actually interested. Um, Some of them like what he has to say. Some are really upset about what he has to say. But as I read the end of this chapter... I realize that in verse 30 and 31, though it is really easy to read over and forget, the key to who Paul is sits in these two verses, okay? Now, the reason that I think it's very important to kind of look at how Paul works out his life is because in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow Christ. Really bold thing to say. I would never say it, Okay? Um, I would say, sort of follow me once in a while while I follow Christ. But Paul very boldly says, follow me. And so as an apostle, I, not me as an apostle, but Paul's apostle, I take it very seriously. If he says to follow him, then I ought to follow him. I ought to figure out what he's doing, how he does it, what his motivations are. Okay? And so I think in these two verses, there's a key to who he is and how he actually functions in his everyday life. So let me, let me read that to you. Now, we have to remember, Paul's whole goal is to get in front of Caesar and preach the gospel to Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. That's his objective. That's what God told him he was going to be able to do. And so that's where he's headed. He's made it to Rome, and it says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly, without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. Paul, all we've been reading about Paul has been super action. He's going here. He's going there. He's doing this. He's going to make it. And now, all of a sudden, he's run straight into bureaucracy. Two years of bureaucracy, he's not going to get to see Caesar. All of a sudden, he has to wait. He has to wait. And I started thinking about that, and what I realized is is that almost all life is about waiting. I got to stay uh, for two years before I was married to my wife with her grandparents while I went to ASU. Don't murder me. I went there. Um, But anyway, most of you must not be U of A fans because I'm still alive here at church. But uh, there we go. Right. Right. Yes, there you go. Anyway, I went to ASU. I stayed with her grandparents for two whole years. Um, And her grandfather used to say something to me all the time. And it was when he was sitting in his rocker, hurry up and wait. Now, who do you think we were hurrying up and waiting for? Grandma, right? And I think Grandpa had spent most of his life hurrying up and waiting, right? And that is a lot of what we do in life, right? We we get really prepared to do the thing we really want to do, and then we wait. When I was about five years old, I loved Playmobil. Now this is in the '70s, okay? Um, when I was five, and I don't know how many people know what Playmobil even is. All right, I loved Playmobil. Now. It's one of my most favorite things. I, st- I, I bought it for my son, thinking he would love Playmobil. I guess it's the wrong era, um, unfortunately. But anyway, I know I found some other kids at the village who like Playmobil, so we're in and he's out, whatever with him. Um, anyway, but I love Playmobil, and I can remember two things. One, my mom would take me to the uh, toy store in Park Mall, we lived in Tucson, and... What I thought was forever probably was only 10 minutes. My mom would let me be by myself in the Playmobil aisle while she went next door. But in my mind, now as I remember it as an adult, she like wandered the mall for hours and I stayed in the Playmobil section. Um, I think it was only 10 minutes though. Um, And in Playmobil in those days, it's not this way anymore. You could actually flip the whole top up of the box and then you could see every little piece. And so I would flip every box up and look at them, and they were the coolest things, and I would want them. Now, I didn't give very much allowance, but I can remember I had a jar way up on a shelf in the hallway, I think, and I would just go check that jar to see if I had enough money, and I believe a Playmobil box cost $7. And so I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And that moment in my life, I'm pretty sure, is how all of life is is you wait, right? We're always in this period of waiting. Now, inside of this little text here, we have Paul in the same situation. He's got grand dreams. Remember last week, what we talked about was what, how you go about doing the impossible, right? Because... Here we have Paul, he'd been shipwrecked, he was on an island, nothing was going well, and Paul says, don't worry guys, everything will work out because God told me, I'm going to be with Caesar. I'm going to go preach to Caesar. So it's all going to work out, which is absolutely impossible. And so I offered you some suggestions about impossibility, about how we think about it, and the first thing I said was, like when you face something that's impossible, the first thing you need to realize is that all the people you're dealing with are normal, just like you and everybody else in the world who's facing something that's difficult in their life doesn't have some extra special thing they're just normal like you and that means that most of them are afraid just like you are right so that's the first thing you have to remember and then the second thing i think i told you was if you look at how paul operates paul is always thinking bigger than himself he doesn't say hey like i'm i'm going to do this little thing no it's i'm going to go to jerusalem i'm going to go talk to Caesar. So as you look at your life and as you wrestle with things, part of thinking bigger is having a vision for your life. Because a lot of times what we do is we either get stuck in the past or thinking about the present. I mean, or thinking about the future, but not actually having a vision in the present for what we can do. So like thinking about how things could possibly be different and then what we could do, thinking bigger than ourselves. So anyway, um, we're not people of vision, and Paul is, and so that's one of the things we need to be. And then the other thing I said was, that I think it's kind of came back to haunt me this week, is that you have to stop doing the stupid things, meaning the things that distract you from the thing that you're supposed to do. Because most of us all know what we're supposed to do. If it's in our marriage, it's at our work, it's with our neighbors, it's with our children, it's with our finances, it's with our addictions. We all know what we're supposed to do, so we spend a lot of time doing the things we're not supposed to do, to distract ourselves. So, stop doing that. And then the reality is, you've got to start doing the dirty stuff, like doing the hard work, getting your hands dirty, doing the actual work on the thing that you've been avoiding. So, if you've got a vision for your life, if you can kind of see your problems beyond, like see beyond them and see what God could do, and if you realize that everybody's normal, the last thing you have to remember, I said, and I think Paul really understood this because he said it in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 13, was that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him right? That it's not about your own effort, but Paul really believed that Jesus was going to get him to Caesar. And we have to hold on to that tightly as we face the things that are really difficult for us. So all of that, Paul has this, you know, this vision for what he could be and what he wants to do. And then there he is sitting in a rented apartment for two years doing none of it, right? Waiting. And so there's a little key in this though, because it says While he was in that rented house, he welcomed all who came to see him. Here's the really cool thing about the kingdom of God. All of us, all of us have to wait. Kingdom of God or no kingdom of God. Like we're all either in or out or wherever you are, we have to wait for things. But inside the kingdom of God, those of us who really take the message of Jesus seriously, when we wait... Well, being a person who welcomes is what we're supposed to do. So this word welcome means to really actually remove a barrier, right? So we're moving barriers to the people who are around you. So as you are stuck in a place where you're waiting, maybe you're waiting to get married, maybe you're waiting to finish college, maybe you're waiting to get out of debt. We can go on and on. Maybe you're waiting for all the addictions to go away someday, right? You're waiting. Part of that should be a trigger in your life that the mission of someone who follows Jesus is to be hospitable, and hospitality is to remove a barrier. Think about it. When somebody comes to your door and knocks, to be hospitable to them, you have to open the door. Then you invite them in, and if you're a really smart and, and very kind person, you'll offer them some water. And if you invited them over, and you've opened the door and given them some water, hopefully you're going to feed them, right? You're removing barriers. They're not going to sit around awkward and stand there while you're eating dinner. No, you invite them to the table. So it's a process of inviting them closer and closer into your life. So Paul is doing this physically. He's welcoming everybody in to be in relationship with him and to talk to him while he's waiting. I think that's really key because you know what? I talk to a lot of us, including myself in the mirror, and I get obsessed with waiting. I get tired of waiting. Nothing ever seems to happen when I want it to happen. Right? I never have what I want. I mean, I'm always discontented. And yet in the kingdom of God, Paul, and we'll see this, has had such an experience of God's grace that when he waits, his simple mission is hospitality. And I would argue that everything that happens around Paul, all of his impossible things, that happen around him are because he removes barriers and invites people into his life, right? Now, it's not just his own home, but the way he engages with people, the way he interacts with people, how he deals with them. So, it tells us very clearly in verse 31 what he does, what hospitality for Paul looks like. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The two things that drive Paul in his hospitality is to express the kingdom of God and to tell people about Jesus. That's what he wants to do over and over and over again. Now, this isn't to toot my horn, but I, I thought this was funny because somebody once told me, said, hey, Eric, let's, I really want to go out with you and hang out and do some stuff with you. And and not have it like be, you know, not have you have to do, you know, have have it be about work and and my life. And then somebody started laughing and said, well, if you go hang out with Eric, there are only two things he'll talk to you about. His church or Jesus, right? And that was encouraging to me because I want to be like that. I want, if you hang out with me, all you're going to talk about is church or Jesus, right? Church, Jesus, and football. I mean, okay, church and Jesus. Those are the things... (laughs) that I want to be about. That's what I I want people to experience, is community, kindness, gentleness, and Jesus, right? So it doesn't explain a lot of what that looks like in these two verses. So I'm going to quickly, I want to turn to to Acts 20 because I want to show you um, an interaction where Paul actually explains to you what his... um, what it looks like for him to be hospitable. Paul is about to head to Jerusalem, and he's going to call all, he calls all the elders of Ephesus together, and he has a conversation with them. Let me read it to you. Uh, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, "You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the Providence angel, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from the house and from house to house. I have declared to both Jew and to Greek that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk some more, but I'm going to tell you one thing that I don't want you to forget. And I'll kind of give it to you as a string. Number one is when you have to wait, the kingdom of God, I want you, when you're in a place where, man, I just wish I was in a different place, I want you to remember, Eric said that the kingdom of God calls us to be hospitable. And let me show you what Paul just told us in these few verses is that hospitality is being emotionally invested in the people around you. Being emotionally invested. Do you hear what what Paul is saying? Is I came to you and I gave you everything I had, so much so that I cried, and through my trials, I still was with you. I didn't go anywhere. Now, here in our culture, being emotionally invested gets you in trouble, right? When you're emotionally invested, it hurts, right? If you emotionally invest in other people, they will fail you. They will make life miserable for you. It won't always be great. Emotional investment is risky. And yet hospitality in the midst of waiting is you being willing to be emotionally invested in the people around you. Now think about it. What's the problem in some of your friendships? Real simple. You're not emotionally invested. What's some of the problems in your marriage? Real simple. You're not emotionally invested. What's the problem in some of your marriages or in, in your parenting or in, in anything with your neighbors, it's, you're not emotionally invested. The places that you face trial with people and in your own life, it's about emotional investment in what is around you and in the people who are around you. And so Paul says, hey, this is, this is what it is. So I'm not telling you to turn off right now, but I'm almost finished, but I want you to know that that's the point I want you to remember, is that hospitality is about emotional investment. And the time that we're called to be emotionally invested is 90% of our life while we're waiting right, for the cool thing to happen or the deliverance that we're expecting. Now, let me quickly finish here. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is the thing that drives Paul. The reason that he can stay present and emotionally invested is that he wants to finish well and he wants you and I and all that are around him to experience the grace of God that he's tasted, that he responds out of the taste that he's had of God and he wants to pour it out on all of us. He wants that to be the thing that everybody experiences. Now I just want to jump forward. Um, They're about to leave and he kind of makes this practical for them or he's about to leave these people who care about him so much. And in verse 34, it says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and they embraced Him and kissed Him. What grieved them the the most was His statement that they would never see His face again. Then they accompanied Him to the ship. Now you see the results of emotional investment, right? People that you emotionally invest in love you. They feel cared about by you. They want to be around you. They want what you have, the way you have tasted Jesus. Now, he puts something very key in there. He says that our job is to take care of the weak. Now, here's the reality. All of us are weak. Every single one of you are weak. I'm weak, right? And so part of being in community together, part of being emotionally invested is being willing to emotionally invest in one another's weaknesses, Let me close this way. So I got to spend two years with my um, wife's grandparents, and they were waiting. Sue's dad, uh, or Sue's grandfather, had, um, had mouth cancer, and so he'd lost a ton of weight, um, and he knew he was going to die. Um, her grandmother was mostly blind, so it was hilarious for her to change channels because she was in control of the channel clicker, but she was blind. So she had one of these boxes where you could scroll back and forth and a gigantic magnifying glass. And so he would yell at her as to what channel he wanted and she would get the magnifying glass and click it and and then he would just roll his eyes. It was really, really funny. But there were many, many times where I sat in the living room with him where he would say to me, hurry up and wait. And then he and I would talk. And I got to watch two people who were waiting. And these two people who were waiting invited a young man who actually had broken up with their granddaughter to live with them for no charge to go to school. And they gave me a car and they fed me, though a lot of times I really didn't want grandma's cooking because she was blind. Uh, And sometimes I would have an excuse that I needed to go out with some friends and then grandpa would look at me like he was going to kill me. Um, but that was life transforming for me, because it showed me what it is to actually care about the kingdom of God when you're waiting to go be with Jesus. Because they were done. They'd done everything. There was nothing left to do. They were wanted to go home. I remember when her grandfather passed away, and two days later, I kind of came in when when Grandma was praying and she was just crying and crying, saying, I'm done. I want to go home now. I want to be with my husband. It's over. I'm finished. Right? And yet, they they cared for me, this, you know, young 21-year-old, while they were waiting. They showed the gospel. They were emotionally invested. So there's a picture of what it looks like. That's what Paul was doing. They removed the barriers and invited me in. And there's a lot to inviting a 21-year-old in To an 80 year old person's house. Okay, because we stay up late and make a lot more noise, and there was only one bathroom that we all three had to share. So there are a lot of things that they had to give up to have me there. So if you don't remember, when you're waiting, remember that the call from God in the kingdom is for hospitality. And that is for you to be emotionally invested in the present, in the people around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for taking us through Acts and uh, showing us how your Holy Spirit changes people and how it can change us. I just ask that as we um, reflect on your good grace in our life and maybe the places you're calling us to invest where we haven't, um, that you would give us again, as I pray, courage to talk about those things, to discuss them, and to wrestle with them. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.